We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knasser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Also, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now, on to my guest for today, Kuda Biza, co-founder of Nunbelievable. Kuda's story is like something you would see in a movie. Growing up in a lower middle-class home in Zimbabwe, he soon realized he was better off than a lot of other kids whose parents couldn't even afford to send them to school. At the age of 10, he vowed to someday help those kids. Despite friends and family who told him that his dream of going to college in America was unrealistic, Kuda found a way to not only access what he needed to take the SATs and apply to colleges, he also earned a scholarship to an American college, passing on an offer for a free ride from a university in Zimbabwe. In college, Kuda started a business selling t-shirts and used the profits to help fund kids' education in developing countries. While his original dream was to be a pilot, he opted to take a job as a business innovator with a Fortune 500 company. There he learned how to build and scale businesses. 
when a former colleague was thinking about starting a business that would give back to help feed the hungry, he immediately thought of CUDA. That business became Nunbelievable, which sells cookies and donates part of the profits to food banks. True to his spirit, when he partners wanted to hunker down and wait out the pandemic, CUDA recognized that they were needed more than ever. And in the last year, the business has grown exponentially. His goal now is to fund 10 million meals over the next three years. Now, let's get better together. Kuda Biza, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and you know what? I was doing a little research on you, and I really love what you're trying to do with all the social entrepreneurship you're, you're, you have. And, you know, I even noticed you were a fellow pilot, you know, which I've got mad respect for because that was going to be my profession before I went into engineering. And, you know, as we talked about before, there is no greater freedom than the freedom of flight. <laughs> and so I know there's, there's just uh, an amazing feeling when you're up there and, you know, it's, you get to see the world from a different perspective and, you know, it's just kind of like that Eagle's view has, has an amazing feeling. So I, I miss it. I can't wait to be up again within the next few weeks, but yeah, I love flying and, for the greater part of my childhood, I actually thought that uh, that's how I was going to earn a living because my dream was to be a captain pilot for a transatlantic, you know, route on, on one of the big airliners. Uh, but then sometimes, you know, you 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 miss your dreams in order to pursue your destiny. So exactly. I think that's that's what happened to me. Exactly, and we'll, we'll let's we'll talk all about all that because again, you, you you've just got such a great perspective uh, on life and what you're trying to do. But before we get into all that, like I always like to say, why don't you tell us a little bit how you got to do what you're doing today? Yeah, so you know, with me, I like to start at the very beginning because I think. In life, you can never really connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. So as I look into where I am today, there are a lot of intersection points across the the way that led me to where I am today. So when I was nine years old, I wanted an ice cream. My mom said no, because apparently I'd been naughty that morning. Her words, not mine. I think I had been a good boy, but... Uh, nonetheless, she said no. And then, you know, to me, it kind of like occurred that how could someone have so much control over my destiny, right? She just felt like, okay, you're not going to have ice cream today. And indeed, I didn't have ice cream that day. And it's something that didn't really sit well with me. I guess maybe it was, you know, the the rebel in me or, or something that I wanted to take back control you know, of things like that. If I wanted to have an ice cream, well, I should have an ice cream, right? Even even though I'm nine. And then I quickly realized that <clears throat> the only way I could really control my destiny is if I had my own resources, right? And in this case, I needed to have at least a dollar or two um, in my pocket, you know, that I earn or that I get that I could use for whatever I want. 
So I, in that moment, that's kind of like when the entrepreneurial bug hit me. It was like, hey, I need to start my own business. It was the summertime. I wasn't really doing anything, just, just playing outside. So I decided to become productive. So I went to my neighbor. I pitched her. And she said, yeah. And before you know it, um, I'm cleaning windows. And I earned my first $5. And then the next day when the ice cream truck came, I bought it with my own money. I didn't have to ask my mom. I'm a big boy now. But then I quickly realized the power of entrepreneurship that, you know, it's it's liberating, right? You provide someone with a service or a product and in exchange, they reward you with money and then you can do whatever you want with that money. And then what happened uh, a year later um, was also another crucial dot in my life. And this was when I met a group of students. Well, they weren't students, but a group of kids my age so they were also like around 10, but they were not going to school. They, they didn't have access to an education because in, in countries like Zimbabwe, because I grew up in Zimbabwe, um, if you don't have the money, public education is not free. So you, you won't be able to get an education. So that's why you read some statistics of, you know, close to 300 million kids who don't have access to education. It's primarily because of that. In developing country, in developed countries like America, you know, public education is free, so they don't really, you don't really have to worry too much about that. But in South America, in Africa, in Asia, you know, there's there's a huge challenge when it comes to access to education. But anyway, this this group of kids, these guys, they weren't going to school. And I, I, I struck up a conversation with one of the young girls there, and I asked her, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, my answer was, hey, I want to be a pilot. And I was just curious to hear what she would say. And she looks me straight in my eyes and she says, Kuda, my parents are dead. I don't go to school. I'm just waiting to die. And for me, it was kind of like a huge shock because you never expect a very candid, very blatant answer from a 10-year-old. You expect to hear like, hey, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a pilot. I want to be an engineer, whatever it is. But she had quickly realized that because she wasn't getting an education, um, she was not going to amount to anything. So basically, she lost her ability to dream. And people don't really comprehend the importance of dreams at any age, right? More so important when you're young, but even when you're older, it's, it's, it's as equally important. Because for me, dreams are what got me to where I am today but also dreams are going to take me where I'm going to arrive tomorrow because it's the things that you aspire to achieve that get you to wake up in the morning, get out of, out of your comfort zone and do the things that you don't want to do. But she had basically resigned to say like, Hey, I'm just living life until I die. And that got me to really want to leave Zimbabwe and come to America because the way I had kind of like calculated things is like, I would see all these business people, I would look at people in the government and why aren't they doing anything to help uh, people like little Sarah? So in my mind, I was like, Hey, let me leave Zimbabwe, become something outside of Zimbabwe and then use those contributions to, 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 to change lives. I, because I didn't really know any better. That was kind of like the route I chose. But anyway, I became obsessed with the desire to come to America. And also when you're watching TV, you're watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and all these other things, they all kind of <laughs> like, 
you know, fact I love that. I yeah, love that. that. Love factor, that. like, oh, I yeah. want to I want that. Exactly. You know, I want to go to Miami, you know. I, I want to make a, you know, an impact and, and you know, do something big and, and change lives. So that became my obsession. But I came from a lower middle class family in Zimbabwe. So in reality, my dream was an impossible dream, right? Because when I would tell my parents, like, hey, I want to go to college in the U.S., I'd be like, well, you have to find a scholarship because we cannot afford it. When I would tell my friends, I'm like, dude, this doesn't happen to people like us, right? Because look look at where we are. Like, you know, we live on $100, you know, U.S. dollars per month. You know, like that's all we earn. And you're trying to go to a college that's $40,000, you know, let's be realistic here. That's what my peers would tell me. But I was never the one for being realistic because I always figured like in life, you know, you look at people like Bill Gates, for example, there was at one time when Microsoft was a dream, right? It was a goal. It was like, what if, right? And then he took the necessary steps that he had to take in order to become who he is today. You know, you look at even people from back in the days, you know, that, that were pioneers that broke new ground. They found ways when they seemed to be no ways. And when they had no resources, they found ways to be resourceful. So there's a difference there where if you focus on the resources, you're stuck because your resources have a limit. But if you focus on being resourceful, you have leverage. So you can actually then do things that um, in your mind seem impossible. So that was kind of like the framework I had. And I didn't know it at the time, but I would always say like, I'm going to find a way, I'm going to find a way. So when I graduated high school, I quickly realized that in order for me to come to America, I needed to take the SAT. I needed to apply for colleges. And that would at least give me a shot. Um, my friends would be like, well, I don't have money to use the internet. Um, so I'm giving up. I'm just going to apply for university here in Zimbabwe. But then I was like, well, if internet is the resource that I need, how can I get this resource for free? So I decided to go work at an internet cafe. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. This is cool. Because, because I figured, well, you know, <laughs> if I really need internet... I mean, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> Got to test the I, internet. <laughs> and I have a whole summer, right? I just finished, you know, my 12th grade and I have the whole summer before school starts. Instead of saying like, I don't have money to pay for the internet, go work there. Now you have free internet access. So that's what I did. And what I even did for the owner is like, I told him like, dude, you don't have a night shift right now. I will be your night shift guy. So now you open up more hours because I didn't want him to tell me like, hey, we're full, we don't have an open spot. So I went to him with an opportunity to say like, hey, I can unlock more revenue for you here. Um, so he took me up on that. And um, I would start work at like 5, 6 p.m. and I would close up at 11 p.m. So it was about a five, six hour shift, right? I didn't take like any like lunch breaks or anything, but at 11 p.m. when everybody would leave, I'd lock myself in and I'd use the internet the whole night from 11 p.m. to like, you know, five in the morning uh, because they would open up around six. So then around five, I would kind of like, you know, clean up, get ready, whatever. And then I'll go home. 
So now I had six hours of free internet to study for my SAT, to apply to all these colleges, do my research, do everything. Well, others, my peers, were just saying, I don't have any money. I don't have any internet. So it's super important <laughs> for you to be resourceful. Ah, uh, that is, so, wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's great. That's exactly true. So what's 100%. interesting was that I ironically was, you know, convinced by my parents to also apply to a school in Zimbabwe as a backup plan. So I applied to this school and I got accepted and I had a full ride. So now I had to decide, do I take it or should I leave it? And it was at a time when I was still waiting to hear from the schools in the U.S. And this is the day I became a man because I basically was like, this is not for me. And I had the opportunity in my hands, but I was like, no, this is, this is not the route I'm supposed to take. So I turned it down, not knowing how the U.S. schools were going to reply. But fast forward two years later, right? It took me two years from that moment I said no. I finally got a scholarship, my visa, and I got on a plane and I came to America with $40 in my pockets. I had two $20 bills in my pocket and I landed uh, at Miami International Airport and I started my life in the US. Wow. So, you know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that is like... If you're a young person listening to this right now, make sure you take Uncle Jari and Uncle Kuda's advice, but mostly listen to Uncle Kuda's story about that is powerful. I mean, that is really, really powerful. And, and I think that's the entrepreneur spirit right there. Yeah. Like I, I, had, I had a boss named Paul, who was a founder of a company that I was at a while ago. And uh, he used to always say, Never let money get in the way of progress. And I never understood this because there's certain things you need money for. But he would always be like, look, there's always a way. Like, go figure it out. Because if it's a good enough idea, if you've got enough gumption, if you've got enough like desire and drive and the discipline to go find it, you'll convince someone of your idea and eventually you'll get it done. So, wow. Yeah. And that's wow. exactly what happened to me, which was the school that accepted me. That was the very last application. Like I had already kind of like, well, I've, I've applied to, 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 to enough. And then I was like, let me just do one more. And that one more was the one that I was like, yeah, come. So anyway, so yeah, I, I'm in America now. And I started to remember the story about Sarah, right? The kids in Africa who didn't uh, have access to an education. And I started to, to look into what I had achieved, right? You know, now I'm getting an American education. I'm this poor kid from Zimbabwe. And I was like, I need to do something, right? I've been blessed with this opportunity. So let me bless others with an opportunity for education. Because if you think about it, it only costs about $40 in some remote parts in Africa to send a child to school for a year. Really? So, yeah. Wow. 40 So bucks. in my mind, I'm like, if I Man. can start a, a business, right, but have a social mission tied to it, how many kids can we educate? Even if it's one child, 
what if that kid is the next Nelson Mandela, right? I think I think that's something you know totally. that we should consider. Yeah. So with 150 bucks in my dorm room, I started my second business, which was a t-shirt uh, clothing line. But it's a very important piece um, that ties into where I am today because um, that was my first social venture. So we started selling t-shirts on campus. Um, and again, I didn't have a lot of money. I had only $150. In fact, the way I was able to actually have inventory for my first uh, production run for my first collection is I went to the printer, the t-shirt printer and said, dude, listen, this is my game plan. This is how I'm going to sell the the t-shirts. I don't have cash to pay you right now, which was maybe like around $3,000 at the time. And I was like, listen, if you give me net 30 terms, (laughs) I'll pay you within 30 days. And I don't know if it was pity or it was <laughs> No, he 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 saw the spark, man. He's just like this this kid. He's got something, and you know, <laughs> like they printed the the shirts. Wow, and great. they delivered it to my campus when they were ready. You know, and I just went to the pavement. I pounded the pavement. I was going across my small little campus. I went to other schools were doing like events and things like that. And on day 28, I went back to his factory, paid him, ordered another batch. And that's how we started the business. So like what you were saying, right, there's always a way, right? But if you always look at the obstacles and not focusing on the opportunities, sometimes you miss out on the opportunities that are staring at you right there, right? Or you become paralyzed and you just don't become bold enough to ask. Because all I did, if you really think about it, is I asked. Yeah. And I wasn't afraid yeah. to hear no. Yeah. But I was just like, hey, let me just shoot my shot. You know, you miss 100% <laughs> of the shots you don't take. 100%. Um, 100% so yeah. that experience of starting a business actually unlocked my next chapter, which was when I graduated college, I got hired by a very large Fortune 500 company, multi-billion dollar conglomerate. But the reason why they hired me was that they had just formed a new team called Transformational Innovation because they had come up with the realization that innovate or die, basically. They were like, hey, we need to innovate or we're going to die because things are moving fast. But they wanted fresh minds because, you know, they had realized that, you know, recruiting people with a lot of experience in CPG, they'll just come with the same mindset. It's, yeah, they get the same thinking and nothing different. So they created this team where they had kind of like, you know, a group of entrepreneurs and um, an MIT like graduate who had uh, been in the car industry. So he wasn't even in CPG before, but had kind of like launched on, worked on launching new cars and, and things like that to lead that team. So I worked for this guy. And basically they're like, hey guys, your task is literally to find new opportunities and create new businesses. So not new products for the businesses that are already existing, something totally new that doesn't exist, that's your charter. And we need you to create you know, businesses that have the potential to become nine or even 10 figure businesses in the next 24, 36 months. So that was the charter. And that was my job getting out of college. That's and, a great job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a dream job. It I mean, was that is a dream job. Flying yeah. planes, because actually, we're talking about flying planes. I actually had a job offer 
uh, from an airline called Airtran. It does, you know, they were acquired or like some merger yeah. happened a few years back. Yeah. But I had a job offer from them and I had a job offer from this uh, Fortune 500 company. And I actually turned down Airtran to, to come work for these guys. So anyway, so I start working uh, for this company and I launched uh, a couple of businesses actually from scratch. So one of them was a beer tap system with Anheuser Bush. We did this big collaboration with Anheuser Bush. Um, it was an amazing project. Learned a lot about how to market and get consumers, and also just to create, you know, a production line because we had to create a unique, specific production line for this. So it was lots of learning. Um, and then the one that I think I. Earned, that made me earn my stripes in the corporate world was we came up with this idea because um, one of the brands that was owned by this conglomerate was Crock-Pot, the slow cooker brand. And the thinking was, hey, take a look at Keurig. Part of the reason why Keurig has this like exponential revenue curve is because they have a durable consumable model. You know, because when someone buys their brewer, they have to buy the K-cups. And because of the K-cup purchases, it's a compounded effect. The more brewers you put into the marketplace, you know, the more coffee you sell and you really make the money on the coffee. But we were selling tens of millions of slow cookers a year, but we didn't have a back-end revenue stream similar to the K-cups to make money. So the idea was, let's create a line of frozen meals. Because at that time, meal delivery businesses were raising money like crazy, right? Blue Apron, hundreds of millions of dollars, plated, 50 million there, 100 million there, Hello Fresh, same thing. So they literally gave me the idea on an app and they were like, Kuda, you're going to have to go figure this out. I'm like, I've never launched a food business before. Well, like, you, you are going to launch it now. Well, there you go. Never launched a, launched a tap. You know, beer tap business either. Okay, I guess yeah. I'm qualified. <laughs> so, so I had to figure it out. So, you know, I found a group of uh, food scientists, you know, chefs, uh, a co-packer, the whole nine yards. And uh, we were able to go from idea to launch in less than 12 months, which was pretty fast. Um, and during that year, I remember we even had, uh, you know, a government shutdown. You know, like, you know, like when the government would shut down because like something with the Congress and things like that. I and mean, our yeah. paperwork yeah, was with just... the USDA. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yep, not going to yeah, prioritize this not, one. Need a paycheck. Give you like, you know, your certifications. And, That's you know, crazy. so we couldn't go to market for six weeks wow. because of that uh, government shutdown. But nonetheless, it, it, it was a good learning experience. And we launched. And that specific business went from zero to over $20 million in revenue in less than three years, which was a major win for, for a business that didn't exist. But that's another dot that I want to highlight to where I am today, because it enabled me to learn how to launch a food business. It enabled me to really learn how to scale an e-commerce business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it really became uh, like a strong foundation to, to some of the things that I'm working on today. So after that, I left um, that specific department. I went into kind of like the main business where I was now managing an $80 million e-commerce division. 
And as I was running this division, you know, I, I was doing well. You know, I was earning a six-figure salary, had a nice house. Everything was good. So for someone who came to America with $40 in my pocket. You are literally, I, yeah, you are literally it, right? the American dream. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. This is exactly what we talk about. When we this talk is what about dreams it. are made of. <laughs> this is what dreams are made of. Exactly. But then a tragic event happened. I get a call. I'm on vacation. I'm in the west coast of Florida in Sarasota in Longboat Key um, with my friends. You know, we're by the bay. We're having a good time. And my sister is crying. And she goes like, hey, you know, memory, my other sister just passed away. I'm like, what? So now I leave vacation, pack my bags and head out. And I remember as I'm at uh, my sister's like memorial, I missed the burial because of trying to get flights coordinated and things like that. Um, I started thinking, was she fulfilled in her life? Hmm. Um, did she achieve all the things she wanted to achieve? Right. You know, right. was she able to really make sure that the legacy that she wanted to leave behind, she she left that? Mm-hmm. Um, or she was just chasing success and not really thinking about the things that make her happy. Because I was successful in corporate America, don't get me wrong, but given my experiences growing up in Zimbabwe, given my experiences meeting Sarah, and also given the experience I had when I started that t-shirt company that educated hundreds of children, I was not fulfilled. Like I would go to work, I would generate millions of dollars for our shareholders, but I felt like my work wasn't really making a difference. So it took me on this journey where I started to really think about how can you balance success and fulfillment, Mm. which led me to actually writing a book. So I have a book called The Spear Method, Mm -hmm. Five Simple Steps to Balanced Success and Fulfillment. Because what good is it if you're a miserable billionaire? I... Right. You know, I am so with you on this. I mean, and it's 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 those tragic parts of life that put the world into focus. You know, when I when I lost my wife to leukemia almost four years ago, when she died, I mean, it just completely focused my mind on like, what do I really want to get out of life, and why? One, why every day is precious. Two you know, you're, you're right. Like I could do anything. Like I could go work for corporate. I could, you know, get exactly the same thing. Like there's no doubt I could do that, but the fulfillment of the legacy that not only I want to leave behind, but Jane was her name, Jane's legacy of what she didn't get to complete. You know, that's way more powerful than any big bank account, any, you know, money. I mean, I just, just put it so clearly into focus just, and it's a shame, honestly, that we both had to go through a tragedy Mm -hmm. to focus that. But on the other hand, I'm glad that we sought the lesson in the tragedy, Mm -hmm. which is the most powerful thing you can do. Um, And I'm really curious to hear how that, that event, you know, losing your sister or having your sister die, how that kind of, redirected you so to speak yeah so you know at that point i'd spent more than a decade in corporate america right um so i knew like i needed to leave and i needed to take what i had learned because i learned a lot right 
building all these businesses. It's these are experiences that I would never want to trade for anything. Totally, totally. Um, but I had kind of like got into a point where I was like, okay, I've learned every everything I could learn. I think from from this experience, I'd climbed the corporate ladder to to a really good place, but I needed to really start making impact. So it just so happened that I got a phone call, um, you know, a couple of weeks later or whatever, um, when I was kind of like going through this, you know, zone and the phone call goes like, hey, Kuda, there's a meeting in Manhattan and I think you need to be there. What is it about? They're just like, just come. So I'm kind of like the guy of like, you know, you need to stay open to possibilities, right? Yep, yep, yep. Because you never know. So I was never like, all right, know. let me just never. go. Let me go sit in and see what it's at. If worst case, um, you know, it, I get to meet new people and it is. What and it you're is. in and New York. How bad yeah. could that be? <laughs> yeah. And the guy who had called me was was the guy I had kind of like worked with when, when I was building Crockpot Cuisine. So when I was working on that project, uh, Brian Janesco was brought in uh, as an advisor because he had launched his business and sold it to Nutrisystem. So we were kind of like tapping into kind of like, hey, how did you do it? And, and so forth and so forth. So when he called me, I was like, you know, I worked with Brian. He's a really smart guy. And if he's calling me for something, let me just go. So I go in and, and they go like, hey, there was a man. And I was like, do I even want to know where this story is going? <laughs> They were like, there was a man on a plane. I'm like, okay, there was a man on a plane uh, on his way to San Francisco. I was like, okay, where's this going? And then they go like, as he was on the plane, he reads a newspaper story about a group of nuns that were being evicted at their mission. Their landlord was evicting them and... He arrived in San Francisco about an hour early, and he decided to go um, and find out why they were being evicted and if there was a way to remedy the situation. So he gets there. He learns that the nuns were about, you know, three months behind in rent or whatever. He cuts a check on the spot so that they could uh, be caught up. He calls a couple of his buddies. They put together about a million dollars. They call the landlord and they're like, hey, with a million bucks, we want to buy the property from you since you're having issues with the nuns. So they kind of like figure out the housing situation for the nuns. And then while they were there, they realized that the nuns were baking cookies. And they were using the funds from the sales to support a soup kitchen where they were feeding hundreds of people a day. And that's why they were always behind on their rent because all the money was going to the soup kitchen um, so they were putting other people first before themselves. Yeah. And then exactly. it hit this guy to say like, hey, why don't we create a brand, right? That takes inspiration from the nuns, mm -hmm. gets really smart entrepreneurs who know the food business, who know e-commerce, but more importantly, who know social impact. And then we can put, you know, a business together. So that was the vision. So this guy approached and this, I was in this. So this guy who was on the plane in San Francisco approached a guy in Manhattan who I was in the office, like in his office. And they're telling me the story. 
And because in college I had started that T-shirt company that gave back, mm-hmm. I knew social impact and how to build a social impact business. I had created Crockpot Cuisine. I knew how to do food and I was running an $80 million e-commerce business. I knew how to sell on e-com platforms. So my name came up to say, like, hey, there's this entrepreneur. <laughs> Love it. All these, yeah, who takes all these boxes? So, you know, you had, a, you, had, you had guys with the vision and the money because these two guys were going to put the investment, but they needed the entrepreneur to be the co-founder to really take this vision and build it. Yeah. And Brian uh, had been approached and he was like, hey, the only way I'm going to do it is if we do it with Kuda because we built Crockpot Cuisine together. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow, this is exactly what I was looking for because not only can I apply everything that I know from my professional career, but more importantly, I get to make an impact. Yeah. And I was like, sign me up. (laughs) And then before I left, I was like, so who's this guy who was on the plane going to San Francisco? And they look at me and they say, it's Tony Robbins. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So now I love the, I love the payoff of that. Like you, like I tell stories for a living. You're telling a great story. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> so now I'm like that kid. I'm in with Tony from, Robbins. <laughs> yeah, that kid, that kid who came from Zimbabwe with $40 in his pocket is yeah. now business partners with Tony Robbins. That's just insane. That's insane. <laughs> so that's how I got to where I am today. <laughs> oh, wow. I can't top that, man. Wow. Wow. Well, tell, so, so tell us about the company tell us about it's called non-believable if i'm not mistaken right yeah it's, it's called non-believable obviously because we took inspiration from the nuns from the nuns, so we yeah. are a mission-based baked goods company meaning that the social mission we aim to 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 help alleviate is hunger mm-hmm. so for mm-hmm. every cookie that we sell we donate a meal um through our partner soup kitchens uh, and nonprofit organizations. So we are partnered up with the big guys. So think about the feeding Americas of the world, the mm-hmm. world visions of the world, mm-hmm. and also small guys, you know, local food banks and local soup kitchens like Joshua's Heart Foundation, which is based in Miami. It's a food bank that was started by a five-year-old, uh, like New York City Relief. Mm-hmm. Um, they really cater to providing food to the homeless people in New York City. So just think about the amount of homeless people you find in subways in New York City who's yeah. providing care for them. Yeah. You have these smaller organizations like New York City Relief that are looking after these people. So we work with kind of like the you know the gambit, right? Like from the small to the big. But because we were able to then get you know a weighted average of partnering with these guys. What we actually then do donate as charitable contributions, when you calculate the average cost per meal, it's actually one for one. So one cooking wow. meal equals one meal. Wow. So we we launched um, February 2019, right? And it was more of a soft launch, right? Because it was Q4. We didn't want to be super competitive. We just wanted to get out, you know. So January 2020 was really when we went full blast um, with, with, our, with our launch. And then six weeks in, COVID hits. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's so crazy. you're kind of like, 
you know, you're a new company, you're a new brand, you're really trying to kind of like get uh, your footing. And then now everything gets on lockdown. And um, I remember we were, we were talking with the board and there was a sentiment of like, hey, let's hunker down, let's preserve cash um, and let's ride it out. And then I was like, guys, we need to remember why we created this, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our brand is actually more needed now than ever because sure. with this lockdown and everything that's about to happen, it actually means more people are going to be struggling. People are going to lose jobs. So we actually need to figure out how to make this work um, because now more than ever, brands like our brand are going to be needed by the people that we serve. So they were like, all right, you're putting your neck on the line, Kuda, let's keep going. (laughs) And what happened was nothing but amazing. It was a miracle. The business grew month over month, sometimes growing to levels of 300% month over month growth. Um, You know, in our first full year, we're able to uh, surpass the seven uh, figure threshold. So, you know, it was super exciting for us because we got to donate hundreds of thousands of meals to, to people in need uh, last year in, in 2020. So, you know, for me, I love this because not only am I creating value in the marketplace by creating this mission-based brand, I'm also making a difference, right? I can yeah. count the number of people that I have fed um, by working obviously with our customers in order for us to do that, which gives me fulfillment as well. And at the same time, we're creating a lot of value uh, as a brand um, that, you know, we, we can't wait to see where we can take this. Yeah. So, so you know, we're, we're super excited about uh, where we are today. We've just launched a new line of shortbread cookies. We're going to also launch another line uh, of keto cookies pretty soon. So we're really excited about how we're growing and expanding the brand. And uh, we also hope to uh, expand into retail channels, right? So we want to be in your local grocery store. We want to be with the big natural chains like Whole Foods, the Fresh Market, and so forth and so forth, because it is by uh, scaling our product mix and scaling our distribution that we can actually feed more people. Yeah. Uh, the goal we've okay. set for ourselves, which is big, hairy, and audacious, is we want to feed 10 million people in the next three years. Wow. Oh, wow. That's, that is a very noble goal. It's really, really needed right now. There's a lot of people suffering for sure. I mean, I'm in San Francisco and I see it all over. It's really Mm -hmm. sad. Um, And there's a lot of great people trying to, to fix that problem. And it's nice to you know, brands are starting to get on this bandwagon, I guess would be this, the term I'd use. And I don't, well, I don't, maybe bandwagon is not the right word, but, you know, because I wrote the book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, and because I talk about the ethos all the time with entrepreneurs like yourself, th- this is a great example of living the ethos, right? Mm-hmm. Not only am I providing value to stockholders and investors, but the community around me is improving and getting better, and I feel a part of it, and I'm fulfilled, right? And, and, and fulfillment Although we don't talk about it a lot as entrepreneurs, you know, a lot of it's just about how to, you know, <clears throat> scale and hockey stick and all that sort of stuff. I think the real thing that people are going to start thinking about more and more, and I think COVID actually is going to accelerate this, is exactly what you said, that fulfillment. How, how can I fulfill mm-hmm. 
the gifts I've been given. Um, and it really sounds like you're, you're, you're well on your way. And, and it's just so fascinating because uh, I, like, I think I, I told you before, I have a friend named Phil who's got this idea about the fourth sector entrepreneurship, and he's trying to build a movement around this. And it's exactly the kind of things you're trying to do social entrepreneurship, but also sound businesses that make money. I mean, it's not a bad thing to make money. It's, you got to use that money for good. And, and, and what's interesting is that business and entrepreneurship originally back in the day, pre 1970, roughly, um, there was a, an ethos around that there was a commitment to the community. And so how do you see, you know, do, do you, are you going to continue to sort of try to foster this for other businesses or like, how, how do you see it kind of, you know, you've, you, you've been successful at it in, you know, stage one, what's stage two and stage three? Well, the immediate goal for me that I want to remain focused on is the 10 million meals in three years. So that's really going to be the first uh, focus. When, when we get there, it'll be a good time for me to assess what my options are. But the things that uh, get me excited is to inspire, you know, the next generation or other entrepreneurs. It doesn't necessarily need to be younger people than me. It could be even people who are older than me. But I guess the, the thinking is to inspire other people to tap into their own potential, right? Um, because I, I am a firm believer that we can all achieve anything. Like nothing is impossible, right? You just need to um, focus on it for whatever time is required. And then it could be your 10,000th try. You're going to figure out how to turn that light bulb on, right? So, you know, even the reason why I'd like to get on podcast and, and share this story, it's not really for me to kind of like say, oh, hey, look at all the cool things I've done. No. It's really just to inspire other people to get outside of their comfort zone because your impossible is really an illusion of your comfort zone. It's like your comfort zone just telling you like, hey, just stay here. But the moment you decide to be comfortable with your, you know, to, to, to be comfortable with the uncomfortable, that is where the miracles and the magic happen. So you'll be able to actually do uh, great, amazing things. And, you know, there's so many problems in the world that we need everybody to be kind of like operate, operating at level 10. Yeah, agreed. And, and, 100%. and, and just kind of like pushing and, 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 and achieving great things. So, yeah. So, so that's kind of like my mission is to inspire. If I can inspire a thousand entrepreneurs to, to start mission-based, purpose-driven businesses, that's the big win because the impact that will come out of that, you know, it'll come up, it'll come a point where you can't even measure it anymore. Yeah. It's exponential. Actually it, it grows on itself. And yeah, I always, that's what I always tell people about being comfortable, being uncomfortable with things because this job is a lot of ups and downs being an entrepreneur. So yeah. Kuda. So, so yeah. So, so that's my story and I hope uh, it, it sparks, uh, people to to want to get out of their comfort zone and and do amazing things. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, 
I really appreciate your time. This has just been such a great conversation. I really do. Uh, I look up to what you're trying to do. To be honest, it's a great thing. And uh, wish you luck in the future. And I can't wait to see where it goes. And uh, I know you've inspired me <laughs> to be a little bit, push a little bit more. I mean, that's why I do this podcast as well. I I share your, your, um, your ethos about that. Like, got to inspire people to give entrepreneurship a shot, got to provide them with the resources and the tools, and then we've just got to support each other. So Kuda, uh, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.